gorgeous Georgian goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on. From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Ghost reporting for duty here on a Thursday morning, Thursday, November 17th. Actually, it's my buddy Sammy the Squid's birthday. Got to send him a shout out. Uh, folks, we're going to talk to you about the fights that are coming up this weekend, including Derek Lewis versus Sergey Spivak, Patricky Pitbull Frady, and Corey Anderson, the uh, Vadim Nemkov, all those guys, Uzman Nurmagomedov, they're getting down at Bellator. 288. That's coming up. We'll talk about that. John Jones getting arrested at an airport. Gaston Bolanos, good friend of the show, getting signed to the UFC. And uh, DC saying Hamzat Shemaev would be a big favorite. Massive favorite. I think he used that word against Alex Pajeda. Holy cow. So lots to discuss here on a Thursday. And Randy Couture will join us as well. He is our guest for the day. All right, here we go. Goes this, there's something on the tip of your tongue there. Yeah, you meant Israel Adesanya, right? Because what I say? I, you said John Jones, but that's not shocking. So that's why I was like, maybe he got arrested too. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It is Israel Adesanya. Okay, is yeah, because that's not weird. So like, I was like, I, I might have just missed it. I got some questions for John for Randy Couture related to John Jones. So maybe that's why he was on the tip of my tongue. Oh. Plus, they've always had the comparison and the rivalry. I don't know. That's my bad. Should we start with that, though? Israel Adesanya, did you hear about that? He's getting yeah, ready to board a plane out of New York, and uh, he got stopped. It's not as serious as you think. We had to kind of sell it a little bit just to kind of pull you in and make you listen. It's not clickbait. Shut the fuck up. It's not clickbait or nothing like that. <laughs> it's just what happened, right? Uh-huh. And it's a tease. So, yeah, John Jones got arrested, goes. No, no, Israel Adesanya. Oh, I keep saying that. Holy cow. <laughs> Israel Adesanya. You talk for a little bit. Yeah, he got arrested at the airport. I guess a fan had given him uh, a gift of brass knuckles, and he put it in his bag and just forgot that you can't really carry these types of things on airplanes anymore. And and so they pulled him aside, and, uh, yeah, they had to go through all that. Um, it's really not anything, you know, obviously Israel Adesanya wasn't trying to start problems um, at the airport. And, and he surrendered the knuckles right away, you know, and, so everything's okay, but yeah, that that can be kind of scary. Um, if this were a couple years ago, it would be like, oh my god, what just you know, what's he thinking? What's happening? But you know, the things have become a little bit more lax at airports, and you just kind of tend to forget these things from time to time. And he is Israel Adesanya. You know, he uh, it's it's not a gun, so the story was kind of believable. Hopefully, it was even captured on video where they could go, look, look, here's the interaction. Um, because there's a lot of people that just aren't MMA fans, you know. All, they may just see an intimidating-looking black fella boarding an international trip, and boom, red flag goes up. But, yeah, luckily, uh, once we got into it and read it, read the story, we could see that it was an honest mistake. Yeah. So, since we started with Adesanya, let's just pivot right to the guy that just beat him, Alex Pajeda. He's getting, he got a tattoo of 
um, him and his championship belt. You know, he got a, a hero's welcome uh, in Brazil. And so now DC's discussing him versus Hamzat Shemaya, which from what we know, that's not like in the works or nothing. But Hamza Shemaya has been vocal, you know, that he could win that fight. So DC gave his opinion. He thought he'd be a massive favorite against Alex Pajeda. You know, obviously, if Hamza gets him down, and Hamza has very little trouble getting most people down, but if he were to get him down, sure, I could see, you know, uh, maybe a one-sided affair, especially because you saw what Israel was able to do, and Israel definitely doesn't have the, you know, the um, the skill set that uh, Shemaev has on the ground. However, I think Pajeda is one of those guys that's going to get better, you know, every time, in between every time he fights. So let's say him and Hamzat did happen. I don't think it's going to happen next because I think it'll be Adesanya. But if it happened, it's probably happening about a year from now. He's got one whole year to work on some takedown defense. You know, if he can keep it standing, I don't like Hamza Shemaev's chances of just standing with Alex Pajeda either. That's a big dude. I mean, remember, Hamza's a guy that that dips down to 170, mm-hmm. even though he's a pretty, pretty proper 185-er. But Alex Pajeda is definitely a guy that looks like a light heavyweight once he's in there. So right now, if, they, if the fight was tomorrow, oh, I could see that. I could see that with the way Pajeda struggled on the ground, but. I, like I said, this that fight's still about a year away. I don't know that that uh, you know the gap won't close a little bit. Jeez, but he's just so much better than him in that one aspect that I, it would take a really long time. the The same way I would probably say the same thing, you know, going the other way. Um, but you're right. Like honestly, I don't know how much shelf life he has in that middleweight division. He looks huge, and he looks like he could be very effective at light heavyweight as well. Um, so I, I just have a feeling if he does, I mean, obviously the match to make is Israel Adesanya. I think we all agreed on that. If he gets through him, some of the other challengers, man, when you look at like Marvin Vittori, you look at uh, uh, Bobby Knuckles or Derek Brunson, uh, Jared Cannonier, those guys are going to wrestle him. I don't see him getting through some of those. So whatever whatever improvements he's got to make, he's got to make them very, very fast. Right. Agreed. You know, those guys tried to take down Israel, and they didn't have much success. Um, Israel also comes over from kickboxing. But Israel probably has about a three- to five-year lead on Alex Pajeda, you know, mm-hmm. on drilling takedown defense. And But they have those big, long, lanky frames, and Pajeda's way more filled out than Israel. So, like I say, if he recognizes the shot, respects the shot, respects the grappling, then I, I could see him, you know, at least not making it so that a gust of wind knocks him over. You know, you got to struggle to get him down. Um, and if you don't, then obviously you're going to pay the price a little bit. But we're still like that fight's not happening anytime soon that I know of, because think about it. If if. Israel ought to go were to say, you know, I'm gonna take the year off. Well, Pajeda's not gonna get Hamzat next. Hamzat's in a little bit of trouble. He's a super popular fighter, don't get me wrong. But he didn't make weight. He kind of almost pretty yeah. much ruined the main event. 
um, and, you know, seems to get into some trouble here and there. They talked about maybe forcing him to middleweight when, in reality, he could maybe fight the winner of Usman and Edwards. But the UFC is probably going to make him fight Colby just to prove he can make the weight and just, you know, to notch another fight under his belt, you know, to, to prove he's a worthy candidate. So, really, his focus should be there. At middleweight, he's probably at least behind Whitaker. Whitaker's only lost to Adesanya. So you got to probably be behind him in, in the pecking order. I know Derek Brunson just fell off a little bit, but, you know, he still had won like four or five in a row before that. Um, Costa seems to have a, a revival here. And if Costa beats um, Whitaker and Izzy's out of the way, which I'm not implying that he is, but let's just say Izzy does take some time off, then, you know, is Hamzat leapfrogging all these guys? So really Hamzat might be a year, year and a half away True. From a middleweight title fight, so I, Pajeda's just got to put in the work. Yeah, it's a lot of work, but you know he has that one facet of the game where that's where it starts in his world, right? And he's mm-hmm. so good at it. That left hand that he kept throwing on Izzy, dude, was a missile, an absolute missile coming forward. So, um, you know, he could just very as easily knock all these people out as well. Yeah. Well, you know. I'll tell you what goes every so often you just get that reminder, right? How many times did we talk about Usman versus Edwards? Okay, Usman, he can stand. He's developed hands. Um, but, you know, obviously if he takes you down, man, ground and pound, here it comes. You're in a world of trouble. And who had the first takedown of the fight? If I'm not mistaken, it was Edwards. He took down Usman, you know, and he actually looked pretty good doing it. He actually – so there you go. There's a striker who developed some wrestling skills. So you just never know. But again, I, I got to imagine Edwards worked at that. Edward Edwards put in the work. Now, will Pajeda put in that type of work? We'll see. Um, there's some that work so hard at it that they want to take you down. You know, Oliveira took Ferguson down. Um, and then there's some that just want to avoid the ground, you know, so they, they like to play risk control, underhooks, sprawls, whatever it takes to avoid the ground. And then that way they can just unleash. But um, I'm never surprised, but anyway, again, that fight's so far away. I think I'm I'm over it, discussing it. Uh, let's stick with the news. Uh, I know not a lot of people might know Gaston Bolanos because he hasn't fought as frequently as I would like. I think he's like six and three fights for Bellator, but uh, he's also fought Muay Thai. He's originally from Peru, and that's why he's on goes and I he's on our, he's on our radar. He's pretty cool too. He tells some cool street fight stories. He's been to our studio. But man, goes. I was really, really happy to see him signed with the UFC. You know, Molly McCann's kind of made a, a, a re, not a resurgence. Well, maybe a resurgence because you know she was just she was just been in the UFC for a few years now. But 2022, I mean, she really came out of her shell. That spinning elbow really, really put her on the map. And I'm telling you, Gaston Milano's has a couple of those. Man, he's got a really, really nice striking arsenal. But uh, I'd love to see him put that elbow on the map too. Yeah. So the thing about Gaston, I'd really have to go back and look. Like, how old is Gaston now? Because to me, he was always that young kid, right? Up and comer. Um, but some time has actually gone by here. And I'd have to look and see how old he is. I know that he has trained the ground game. I know that he's he's been preparing for all this. Uh, but on the feet, he is a monster, dude. I mean, he has to, just look at his knockout reels. Uh, if he can put everything together... That's a fun little signee that you got there. He's 30 years old. I just checked. 
He's okay. 30 years old, and his birthday just passed in September. So he's he still has a whole year, almost a whole year ahead of him before he turns 31. He last fought in April of this year, and he won. But before that, he hadn't fought since February of 2020. So right before the pandemic started. So he literally went two years without fighting. And then before that, he hadn't fought since 2019 when he had a couple fights. So, you know, six and three, but not a lot of wear and tear. Mm -hmm. He hasn't even fought 10 times in, in MMA. He has had some Muay Thai fights, but I don't know. And I think that's a good age for him. Of course, he would have probably preferred to, to have come over at 25. But uh, look at Michael Chandler. Michael Chandler, if I'm not mistaken, came over at 35 or 34 or something like that. So he can definitely still make something of it. He, he talks a pretty good game. He's a good-looking guy. And like I say, he's very, very exciting. I think it's a good signing. Good one, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say was one last bit of news here, and then we'll get into the fights. Where was it? Oh, there was a good uh, fight booking. I really like this one. Kai Car France is already booked mm -hmm. for Perth, Australia. UFC 284 is coming along nicely. He's going to be facing Alex Perez. So, boy, down under in Australia, man, they got themselves in two title fights. This one, Costa and Whitaker. It's coming together nicely. You know, UFC 283 is the month before. If you look at it, the one in Brazil, it's not as stacked as this one. You got Davidson Figueredo versus Brandon Moreno and a few other nice fights, but I don't see high as high-ranked fighters on that one as I do on this one. These Australian cards have quietly become something that I think uh, falls on an MMA junkie um, bucket list. You know, like you know, how you always say, "I always want to catch a, a a fight in Japan. I want to catch one in Brazil." But slowly but surely, um, Australia has kind of come up on the radar. You see how much fun the fans have there, the personalities that come along with these mm -hmm. cards, some of the history already, the young history that they've had is pretty entertaining. So that's definitely one where I I, I might even put, well, I've, I've done Japan, but I might actually put Brazil aside to try and get to one of these cards first. Would you have a Vegemite sandwich if you went? Yeah, why not? Would you... I wouldn't go in the ocean. Huh? Would you do a shoey? Who, who's shoey? Well, I guess your shoey. You take off your shoe and do it. Oh. I yeah, I would do that. I mean, it depends. I mean, like, I don't want to. You're sit sitting next to Tai Tui Vasa and the camera's on, and then he goes like this, kind of throws an elbow, and you, you look at him like, what? You know, and then he takes off his shoe, and the crowd starts going nuts. Yeah, you got to do it. But, you know, don't. Don't get it twisted. Like, I'm anticipating all this shit, so the newest pair of shoes and socks are definitely traveling with me. Um, now, what about it. when he fills up his shoe and then he looks at you like as if spit in it? Are you going to spit in his shoe? Yeah. I'm not a good spitter. You know, like Jack Dawson? I, uh -huh. I'm, I, I don't, I've i tried before. I'm not very good at it. Well, <laughs> Jack Dawson. Um, well, no, it was Rosa couldn't spit. Jack could. Yeah, Jack can spit, but I can't. Yeah. I can't spit like that. Uh, I was saying it only because by by him inviting you to spit in his, 
he might be saying, oh, oh now pour yours so I can spit in yours. I think I would spit in his and then just start drinking mine as fast as I can. The other day, <laughs> yeah. What I would be scared about is like if he, if he wanted a lady in the tramp it, you know, where like where you or not lady in the tramp, but where you wrap arms and now I'm doing yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, so I just want to do mine as quick as possible. Um, the other day he did one, I think it was in um Abu Dhabi, and was it Volkanovsky? Someone kind of did the old I'll pass on the spit, let's just do it, but they did it. It was kind of funny. Um anyway, so a Vegemite sandwich, a shoey, and you're not going in the ocean? Fuck no. Not even knee high, just to go, hey, look, nah. I'm on earth. Nah, because I, I step on a rock that I think is a rock, and all of a sudden... Stonefish? It, yeah, dude, <laughs> no. I'm not going anywhere near that. Oh, man, that's that's on the western side of Australia. And it's just like the United States, where in L.A. it's, we'll say, 6 a.m. In New York, it's 9 a.m. But it's a three-hour difference from the other side, where Sydney is. So it's a big country, man. It's an island, but it's a country. It's a continent, for crying out loud. But yeah, it's on my bucket list at some point as well. This is a great card. Now, to be fair, I just want to tell you what UFC 283 looks like. I already told you four fights from UFC 284. I don't think I needed to name off anymore. That thing's already looking sick. But 283 has Figueredo versus Marino. See, this is where they're they're kind of leaning on the they're, – they're poking at your nostalgic nerves. Mauricio Shogun, who – nice, cool. But, man, mm-hmm. that, that, that dude's got to be like 40 or 42 as well. He's facing Ihor Poteria. So Poteria could do to Shogun what Gutierrez did to Edgar or maybe Hua digs deep and maybe they were a little kinder to him in the matchmaking. I don't know. Paul Craig versus Johnny Walker is nice. Worley Owls versus Nicholas Dolby. You don't want to insult them because they've been around. But they're not superstars. But they're not tomato cans. So I'll just leave it at that. Um... Terrence McKinney, he's pretty popular. He's on the card. Brad Tavares versus Gregory Rodriguez. That's pretty nice. Jessica Andrade versus Lauren Murphy. But to be fair, it's still not what I described in with UFC 284. This one lacks no. one fight. I'm, I'm glad Gilbert Burns has kind of put it out there that, you know, he wanted to fight Masvidal. I thought that would have been a great, great addition to this card. He'll fight anyone, dude. Gilbert Burns is on fire, man. He, I love the way that guy talks. And you know who would benefit from Masvidal on this card? Figueredo, because he gets pay-per-view points. True. Yeah. So he'd be, be like, yep. In fact, Marino gets pay-per-view points, too, because I forgot. He's an interim champ. So they both get pay-per-view. They're trying to unify. He's interim, and Figueredo's the undisputed. But anyhow. All right. Uh, I think our guest is ready to go. Randy Couture, former UFC light heavyweight champion, former UFC heavyweight champion, current UFC Hall of Famer, but right now his focus is the work he's doing with the PFL as one of their color commentators. He, along with Kenny Florian and I almost said Sean Wheelock, uh, Sean O'Connell, will be on the call for PFL 10 finals championship, something like that. And uh, it's on November 25th. What's 
going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes are back with another superstar from the sport of mixed martial arts. Superstar may not even be a strong enough word. It's the legend, Randy Couture. Too many accolades to name. Focus on the fact that he's going to be commentating on November 25th, the day after Thanksgiving, for PFL 10 2022 Championships. One hell of a card. It's a pay-per-view. Folks, buy it. I'm telling you, it's a loaded card. How you doing, Randy? I'm doing great, man. Very good. Excited about the fights. Uh, we've got actually fights in Vegas this weekend, too, for Operation Knockout with Tough Enough and our annual event for my foundation for wounded veterans. Uh, always excited to be in there and, and see what the Tough Enough guys have put together. It's going to be a great night. And then, obviously, New York City the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday in Manhattan at Madison Square Garden with the PFL and their championship this year and our first pay-per-view uh, very excited about that and just how far this company has come in five five short years. Uh, they've, they've really come a long way, doing a great job trying to take care of these fighters uh, in, a, in a, mu a much better way. And I think uh, putting MMA in a true sports format. I think I had a lot of questions about that at the beginning, but after after five seasons of it, I'm I'm very, very impressed with this organization. They've just done a great job. Yeah, they have. And they got our attention. You know, we got the title fights, and then they have some nice fights that are building towards next year. So you definitely can't complain about the card. You know, a lot of a lot of lives are going to change, and there's a lot of high stakes here. And I want to focus in on a couple fights with you. One yeah. of them, uh, Delano Taylor versus Sadabu C. Now, I've seen Sadabu at your gym. I don't know if you've had a chance to work with him. But the guys that we've talked to, I like we a did a, a watch along the other day with Eric Nixick and uh, Chris Curtis, and they're saying this guy is is trouble. He's a problem. Um, so let's talk yeah. about Sadabusi. Have you had a chance to work with him? And what are your thoughts on on him? Uh, I, I've got got a chance to work with him a little bit here and there. Come in on Wednesdays, some days, and and teach wrestling on wrestling days. Wednesdays at Extreme Couture with the team is always a wrestling day. Some of the guys hate it. Uh, but I think they all recognize that it's something they have to do. And, and that's certainly one of the reasons why Sadabu came to Extreme Couture to do a lot of his training camp for this last season. He knew his wrestling was something he needed to shore up and, and kind of bring a, a weakness up, uh, up to par uh, for his game. He's so long and rangy. Uh, his striking skills are really, really good, and 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 you know the counter to that is to make a guy fight off of his back, and and he knew he had to shore up some things, and man, he's really, really come a long way. His work ethic is on point. Um, he's very, very talented, and he's added some pretty, pretty good wrestling skills to go with that striking, which makes him very difficult for a lot of folks to deal with. Kind of fun to watch him earn his stripes too through the previous seasons, getting closer, making the playoffs, yeah. And now in absolutely. the finals, you know, you see that in other sports where uh, football or basketball, you add a piece here and a piece here, and then when when you finally get it, you know, uh, that long road sometimes is the sweeter taste when you win a, a championship. Yeah, Sadabu is just one of those guys you want to root for. He, you know, got that personality, that charisma. The work ethic, uh, he's, he's just a super, super nice guy. And to see him put it out there uh, and really put the work in, that's a guy you definitely want to root for. He's a guy I want to see succeed. How about his opponent, the road he took, Delano Taylor, Challenger Series? Then he had the split yeah. decision against Zhao. Uh, and then, you know, he did take a loss in the regular season to Magomed Magomed Karamov, a, home, a former champ, uh, a tough, mm -hmm. tough fighter. 
And then a grizzly veteran, man, he had to get past Rory McDonald, you know, yeah. uh, to, to get yeah, to this it, spot. So he earned, his, he earned his spot as well. Yeah, I think that Rory fight obviously got a lot of people's attention. Uh, you know, it looked like they were both throwing that punch at the exact same time, and his just got there sooner and landed before Rory did. And, you know, it's, it, Rory's such an icon and such an amazing guy, and he's done such a great job representing himself, trying to reinvent himself, moving to Sanford MMA, then moving across to Texas, uh, all in, in an attempt to find great training partners and up his game and, and kind of rejuvenate his career. And he ran smack into Delano Taylor, who who had the storybook season coming out of the Challenger Series and making it all the way to the finals. Uh, pretty remarkable story. And, and a, what an athlete. I mean, very, very explosive uh shows a fight IQ that's I think above his experience level, which is really, really interesting. Brendan Lochname versus Bubba Jenkins. You know, this is the one that really could steal the show for two reasons. For one, they're very talented. And you mm -hmm. got, you know, a very, very good striker who has had who has worked on his wrestling because this is a wrestling deep division, 145 pounds, versus Bubba Jenkins, who's also a veteran, comes through wrestling just like yourself. And, you know, he, he's he's won a, a D1 title. But at the same time, he's obviously uh, developed striking skills as well. Uh, but here's the thing. These guys can chirp, you know. <laughs> They've done it on social media. I know they'll do it on Fight Week. This, this is one of the ones that's going to help sell some of them pay-per-views. But can you talk about this matchup? And, again, two guys that have definitely put in their, their stripes, put in, their, yeah. put in some work to get to this. Yeah, absolutely. This is a fun one on paper. It looks like a classic striker versus grappler or wrestler. Uh, but I think if you dig into this at all, you realize that both these guys have some skills in those other areas that make it for a very interesting matchup. Brendan Lochnane, you know, right there, very exciting striker. Um, saw he had a glaring weakness. He got beat by a Dagestani. You mentioned Magomed Magomed Kirmov, who's one of our former champs. Uh, you know, he, he, he beat Brendan up pretty well, pretty bad. Held him down, struggled you know, on the ground to get up from, from the Dagestanian. So what does he do? He goes right out, seeks out those same Dagestanis so he can go wrestle with them. He spent a whole offseason wrestling with a bunch of those guys. And, and then we saw him kind of get into trouble with Ryoji Kudo and have to use some of those wrestling skills to get himself through the fight uh, in, in the beginning of this season. So he's definitely got some wrestling skills and a very, very exciting striker. Dealing with a guy like Bubba Jenkins, who's a you know Division One wrestling champion for ASU, um, has at times you know not pulled the trigger. And, and I think if the, if there was a knock on him, it said sometimes he didn't go out. He wasn't the most exciting. He had that ability to go out and take guys down and smother them. And we've seen him do it time and time again, which isn't always the most exciting fight. And he's been working a lot with Dewey Cooper. I think the loss with last season to Chris Wade really stuck in his craw and kind of forced him to check some of his ego at the door and go, yeah. go out and really put some work in with Dewey, get some striking up on par where he can let his hands go and be formidable in that part of his game. And you couple that with that world-class wrestling that he has, and he's going to be at the newfound confidence, kind of checking the ego at the door and, and humbling himself a little bit. It's, it's been fun to watch and a very effective fighting combination for, for Bubba Jenkins as well. So I think that one's going to be fireworks. You're absolutely correct. I think it could steal the show.
Randy, I know every season has kind of like their comeback fighter, a comeback story. I feel like Bubba Jenkins' life is a comeback story, right? He's been through multiple comebacks. But you had him at your house the other day. And I almost, I don't want to say I didn't recognize him, but just the way he was talking was so different. His mindset was so different. Where do you rank his comeback story? Uh, I think it's, it's special for sure. And a lot of that's because of the guy that he is. We all know that, you know, he's got a lot of talent. And here's, you know, it's a very elite small group of guys that won an NCAA championship in wrestling. We know how talented he is, what he's capable of. And has he really exploded and done, used that talent in in mixed martial arts yet? And I think we're just about to see that happen. He's, He's really, you know, everything happens for a reason. I know some of my own losses were most important fights in my journey. And I think this loss to Chris Wade really was kind of a wake-up call for him uh, and, and changed his attitude and perception about who he is and how he fits in this sport. And we're seeing him use those gifts, step up, really put the work in. It's not just brash bravado, bravado anymore. He's going to back it up and, and let those hands go and show us all that talent that he has. So, you know, the fans and the media, we're going to bring up a million dollars nonstop because it's a big (laughs) prize, right? But for fighters, is there one fighter you could point to that maybe you feel like uh, the million dollars is great, but really it's about being the greatest at their division, being a great fighter? Is there one fighter that just doesn't talk about the million dollars very much? Yeah, you know, the guy that sticks out to me is Ante D'Elia. And here's a guy that, you know, highly touted, working with Mirko Krokop, very, very talented guy. A lot of expectation when he got signed with the PFL that he was going to be the guy. And he ran into some really tough fights, managed to just hunker down, stay in there. And here we see him come back, you know, and, and against Matias Matias Scheffel, it's going to be an interesting fight. Uh, and he's the guy that's kind of this low-key, low very talented uh, guy in, in the division. And, uh doesn't talk a lot about any of it. So that's definitely a guy you want to watch those quiet ones. you got to be careful with those quiet ones. (laughs) For sure. Now the main event features Kayla Harrison, you know, probably the biggest star in the company. She's going to be facing against Larissa Pacheco in the main event. We know a lot about Kayla Harrison, her judo career decorated and comes over to MMA and just been destructive 15 and 0, um, you know, winning these seasons over and over. She's, taking home a few of those bags let's talk about larissa pacheco though who seems to be kind of like we've described with the other guys you know talking about taking a loss here gone a little bit further keeps you know getting better and better yeah what are the paths of victory for larissa pacheco um you, you know so that this fight can be competitive and and what's the best way you think she can test kayla harrison well first of all she has to have sharpened up her takedown defense. If she gets, you know, Kayla is able to close the distance and get her hands on her. Uh, she's got to be able to scramble. It's not enough to just be a black belt in jujitsu and be able to operate off of her back. If she gets taken down, I think she's got to create those scrambles and get back to her feet where she may have a potential advantage. Now we haven't seen anybody step into the pocket and really pace Kayla Harrison and, and get her attention. I know that's happened in practice. I'm not questioning or, or, or trying to suggest there's a weakness here in Kayla. We just haven't seen anybody do it and see how she responds to, to taking a, a good straight shot. You know, in the show, on the night, uh, 
in the face and, and nobody's been able to really do, do that um and I, and i think pacheco on a you know five knockout streak here from last season through the, the finals in this season has definitely sharpened up her game she's fought kayla twice you know got beat up by her pretty badly the first time took her the distance which kind of drove kayla a little bit crazy uh in that second yeah. season and we've just seen her continue to progress be more and more aggressive, more and more technical in her striking. She's become the female version of Andalay Silva in many ways. I mean, you better strap it on tight if you're stamping in the cage with this gal. She's going to come and come very, very fast and very, very hard. Uh, and, and we've yet to see somebody step in there with Kayla with that attitude. And she's demonstrated it throughout last season and into this season She's been a terror, and she's going to be difficult to deal with for anybody. Uh, I really, it, again, as much as I ha as respect as I have for Kayla Harrison and how far she's come in a short amount of time, that this is going to be an interesting fight and an interesting matchup now. And they've built up a rivalry over four years fighting and competing against each other. So uh, this one's definitely going to be one to watch. Yeah, and you can see that Larissa's confidence has grown um, especially when they kind of pan to her and show her like when in the regular season, when it had to do with the seedings, you know, whether Kayla was going to get a finish. Cause I believe if I'm not mistaken, Larissa did finish as the number one, but you can just see how her confidence has grown. You know, she hasn't been finished by Kayla. Like some of the other gals have, she has gone the distance, but she has gotten beat up. So I don't know. I think this fight's going to be super close. Of course, if I had to choose, I think Kayla will find a way. Uh, but but I, I just think it's mm -hmm. going to be a spectacular main event here uh, between Larissa Pacheco and Kayla Harrison. And we'll talk about the other fights with some of the other analysts. They'll be with us soon. Just while we have you here, I wanted to uh, catch you on a couple things here. I think you're going to enjoy it, though. Um, did you know that today is 22 years uh, the, from the date that you won the UFC title against Kevin Randleman? It was on this day in, two, in uh, 2000, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I did not know this was that day, but uh, uh, that sounds that sounds about right. I know it was this time of year. Um, that fight happened in in Atlantic City. Uh, yeah. One of my first times, uh, actually, the first time I fought in Atlantic City was against Pedro Hizo. But uh, that was certainly another big fight. I think anytime I was facing another wrestler, uh, I knew it was going to be a bigger challenge uh, for me. And and Kevin certainly proved to be that. He took me down in the first and second round and. And was dominating the fight, and I managed to take him down in the third round, uh, and I think that was the difference that night. But uh, you know, obviously, uh, a whole bunch of us miss Kevin dearly. Uh, he, he was such an amazing spirit and, and person in our sport, and so weird how that went down. You know, I saw him at the MMA Awards on Saturday, and then that following Monday got the news that he was gone. I mean, I couldn't believe it, and. Yeah. He's just one of those guys that uh, <clears throat> has such a unique spirit in our sport, and and that we're all we'll all miss him for definitely, you know, indefinitely for sure. Yeah, great guy, Kevin Randleman. Great career he had too, both you know in wrestling at Ohio State, and then in mixed martial yeah. arts. Um, did this did this title feel any more special than the Sylvia, the Maurice Smith, or any of the other titles? Was there anything special about this one? Or, title, or once, that, that once you started to rack special. them up, were they about the same? <laughs> that title was special because I, I was on the outs. Uh, 
with Meyerowitz and, and, and SCG, the old company, you know, I was the champ. Uh, they they were struggling financially. The ban from from People's Choice pay per view and a lot of things were affecting them. And we got into you know, a contract dispute over the money that we had negotiated that they were supposed to pay me and f- for that next fight, which was actually supposed to be uh, Boss Rutten or, or Mark Coleman. Um, and it you know, obviously. <clears throat> The sport was struggling. There were a lot of things going on there, but th- that was my first show back with the UFC uh, to fight Kevin for the title. Um, so I had taken a year off, pursued making that Olympic team, going to Sydney. Um, it didn't make it. Uh, retired from wrestling that summer and, and jumped back on and put my focus back on uh getting back in the saddle in mixed martial arts. And and that was my first fight back. And then the, the last thing I wanted to ask you was, as I'm scrolling through, just looking to see if this happens to be a special day, just like we arrived at, at what we talked about. Uh, I noticed that, you know, we're now 12 years removed or 11 years since your last fight versus Leota Machida. And so then I, I, you know, I needed to test my memory a little bit. You had a three-fight win streak going into the Machida fight. So then I clicked Machida's name, and I noticed that beating you got him the title shot versus John Jones. Would it have been the same for you had you beaten Leoto? Would you have been facing John Jones? And part two would be, I guess, how would you have felt at 48 facing John Jones back then? How would you have felt about your chances if if that was the case? Yeah. And, and again, I think this is around the time that, that I was doing a lot of self-analyzation about whether I should be grinding out another camp and continuing to train and fight in the sport uh, at my, you know, at, at 47 years old. And the truth is, I don't think anybody wanted to fight John Jones at that stretch. You know, he was pretty much <laughs> kicking the hell out of everyone, including Leota Machida in that fight. Um, yeah. I, you know, I was already having long, hard conversations with myself. You know, was this the best thing for me? Did I need to be grinding out another camp? having an honest conversation with myself, am I going to be the best guy in my weight class? If not, then why am I grinding out another camp and fighting? And and the honest answer to that question was no, I wasn't probably going to be the best guy in my weight class. So why? And uh, ultimately decided that that Leoto fight was going to be my last win, lose or draw. It was time to move on. So uh, that, that internal dialogue was already going on. Even if I'd have beat Leoto, I was done. I was walking away from the sport after that fight. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I guess I just needed a reminder of what was going down back in those days, uh, you know, because it has been a while and so much has transpired. You know, it's not just the UFC nowadays. It's obviously Bellator. It's PFL. Um, you know, Invicta, Ryzen, one championship. There's so many fights now. Um, but yeah. you just took us down memory lane a little bit. But, you know, don't sell yourself short. Not wanting to jump in with John Jones isn't the Randy I remember from about 11 years ago because he went in there with Brock Lesnar for crying out loud, you know? And yeah. well, that, that, could, that, that might be kind of as scary as it gets, too, and, and amongst all the other beasts that you faced. Yeah. I certainly wasn't one to shy away from fights, but I think at some point you have to have a rational conversation with yourself and uh, and really – be honest and evaluate where you're at and why you got into the sport in the first place. I got into it to be the best at it, to be the best in the world. And I, and I had achieved that. And the honest question was, was I going to be in that spot again? Uh, yeah. And if not, then why? 
Randy, it's always great chatting with you. Thank you so much for the time. I'm glad we got to promote this card. I think it's a great card that people should buy. It will be on Black Friday, day after Thanksgiving. So a good way to continue unwinding and eating leftovers and enjoying some good scraps <laughs> from Madison Square Garden. Randy Couture will be on the call. Thank you so much for the time, Randy. We really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you having me on, fellas. Great to see you. I can't believe I blanked his name, but it was uh, the Russian played by the, the one that fought Rocky Balboa in Drago. Drago. Ivan Drago. That's what it was. I was scrambling for that. No one jumped in, though. I guess you guys blanked it, too. But th- his cabin totally looked like that, didn't it? Like that that's where their that's where their training camp base is. <laughs> yeah. I like that little rifle up on the it's so just casually hanging there. What was the name of Apollo Creed's trainer who trains Rocky Balboa in that fight, oh. along with Paulie? Remember uh, the black guy? Duke. Duke. It was Duke. Yeah. It was Duke, Paulie, um, Rocky, and I can't remember if they had anyone else there, but I could see those three and then Randy, you know. They, um, I think in the new Creed movies, that guy is supposed to be Duke's son. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I forget what his name is, but he's the guy that owns the gym or whatever. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I, I thought you meant Creed. I was like, wait a minute. That's Apollo Creed's son. Oh, no. Ooh, wouldn't that be a t- plot twist? <laughs> um. All right. What do you think of this Bellator card? The it's two not bad. Are the underdogs, massive underdogs, too. Corey mm-hmm. Anderson minus 225 against Vadim Nemkov plus 175. And then in the lightweight division, Usman Nurmagomedov, the brother of Umar Nurmagomedov, and these two are cousins to Habib Nurmagomedov. He's minus 400. He's going to be facing Patricky Pitbull Frady, the brother of Patricio Pitbull Frady. Patricky's putting up his lightweight strap. Um, He's plus 300, and Usman Nurmagomedov is minus 400. The... The Anderson Nemkov fight, I kind of understand. I think it's in the right spot. The Pitbull one, I think, might be just a little too high. Um, you you do have to give these Pitbull brothers respect. I know they're two different fighters, but they're similar in the sense that they always give you an honest camp, and uh, they're pretty well rounded fighters. So, I think that one might be a little high. But yeah, when. When do you ever see that, you know, when you're going into a card like that and, and two champs are underdogs to that extreme? Yeah, it's been a while. I mean, I, I guess we already got the blueprint for why that should be with Anderson versus uh, Nemkov. You know, Anderson, in my opinion, was on his way to winning the, the Grand Prix mm-hmm. and the undisputed title before the clash of heads. Um, but as far as Nurmagomedov, look, all respect to the Dagestanis, they're killing it. They got some really, really good fighters in their style of fighting. You know, the Russian combat sambo is is proving to be uh, a difficult puzzle to solve. But minus 400? That's kind of a lot. You know, the yeah. Pitbull brothers, aside from the skill sets, which is what the odds makers take into consideration when they're making a line, they also take the popularity of the fighter. You know, Conor McGregor is so popular that even though he does have a glaring hole, the wrestling or whatever – no matter who he fights, you know they anticipate that people are going to bet Conor McGregor, so they got to compensate for that. 
they can't just make Habib minus 900 because a lot of people are going to bet Connor at plus 600 or whatever it comes out to. And if he lands that powerful left hand, I mean, they're going to be paying out a lot of money. So they mm-hmm. got to try and balance it out a little bit. And so that's why, you know, now I'm not trying to compare Pitbull with, with Connor, obviously, but still, I don't, I, I don't know that Usman has made, you know, I guess if you're that scared to get thumped, maybe limit how much someone can bet on Usman or Magamena. If you're really afraid that someone's going to come in like Drake and put down <laughs> what, 4 million to win a million. You know, maybe limit, maybe limit old Drake. In fact, didn't Drake take a little bit of a beating on the Adesanya fight? I heard he lost a couple mil on this last one. Yeah, I didn't hear about that one, but he has yeah. taken some lumps. But it's all good though, because he gets a free steak. You know, when he goes next time he Miami? goes to Miami. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Aljamain Sterling, Henry Cejudo, Sean O'Malley. This thing's been able to breathe for a few weeks since Aljamain Sterling defeated T.J. Dillashaw out in Abu Dhabi. And now that it has goes, obviously Sean O'Malley's his biggest stake. He's the mm-hmm. most popular of all the remaining fighters, right? Uh, Marlon Vera has a claim in that I beat O'Malley. I also beat Dominic Cruz. I've been winning. Why not me? But he seems to have kind of accepted that he's not going to be the guy. I like that he's keeping it 100. Mm-hmm. And so he's almost saying, well, then maybe me versus um, Davalashvili. Sterling's pretty clear that he might not fight Davalashvili. He said maybe Marab might go to 125. He also said he's considered going up to 145. And then, of course, the last wild card is Henry Cejudo, who is a former flyweight and bantamweight champ who retired a few years ago. And 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 so he's trying to squeeze in there, right? Mm-hmm. What, what do you think now? Now that you've had a chance to think about all these scenarios, what would you like to do with, with the those fighters I just named off? I think Henry Cejudo's a lot closer than we all think. I think uh, when he's ready to be back officially, gone through protocols and all that, I, I think, think he has. Gonna, I think he's going to throw a huge. Close. I think he's going to throw a huge monkey wrench into this plan. I heard a little rumor, and um, yeah, I think I, I, I think he's going to blow us all away, and he's really? going to be a big player. The Marlon Vero, I wish he, I wish he didn't surrender so easily. Just because his claim is is so perfect, when you think about it, mm-hmm. um, Sean O'Malley. You know, you hear all Aljamain Sterling talking about that matchup, and he says that that's my toughest matchup right now. That's the not his Sean... toughest matchup, huh? That's not his toughest matchup. Well, that, he's gonna I say that because he wants that. to sell that fight. He but, wants you know, that money. Yeah, I don't blame he's him. He's not that off. He's not that far off, George. It's not the easiest matchup either. Well, Sterling seems to be thriving on his wrestling, his grappling game, and how no one can stop him. And rightfully so, man. You know, actually, I want to give him props because, you know, that suffocation that GSP used to do to fighters, and and it took a long time for people to warm up to GSP. You know, we'd watch GSP do the same thing over and over. And by round three, people are tweeting. Or if you're talking to someone at a party, you're like, oh, man, why did we pay for this? Um, we appreciated his greatness, but it was just kind of a rinse and repeat, a well-timed takedown, hold them down, beat them up, 50-45, 50-45, once in a while, 49-46, sometimes a 50-44, to the winner, and still champion, George St. Pierre, you know. Uh, well, Aljamain, 
is kind of doing a little bit of that. I mean, he still has a few title defenses, defenses to go before you get there. But but at the same time, he just has like this really, really aggressive grappling way, uh, uh, you know, and he gets into these dominant positions and right away he makes you start paying the price, whether it's a body triangle or just on top, you know, going from one position to the next. And then as you're trying to scramble, he just keeps mauling you. And then when he needs to stand, he stands with you. But make no mistake, against Sean O'Malley, I think he's taking him down and lumping him up. So I would say his toughest opponent is probably his teammate, Marab really. But that one kind of so, doesn't count because you know they're not going to fight, right? They're probably not going to fight, right? But, but I would agree mm-hmm. with that. I would agree with that 100%. So if we leave him to the side, then maybe Cejudo because of the wrestling. Even though he hasn't fought in three years, mm-hmm. he's got some wrestling, so he's not going to be easy to take down. But he's not impossible. The wrestlers aren't impossible to take down. George St. Pierre didn't wrestle in college. He took down John Fitch. George, George St. Pierre didn't wrestle in college. He took down Josh Kostick, who, by the way, won a Division One title. You know? Jake Shields wrestled. George St. Pierre took him down. So yeah. um, just because Henry won the the the, uh, the gold medal, you know, it's not like, oh, my God, that guy's impossible. To, he can be taken down, uh, and Aljo seems to have good ways to do it. Now, if he can't, I'd say Henry's definitely improved his hands more. I like his hands more than I like Aljo's hands, mm-hmm. um, and he can be dangerous. But, again, Aljo's just click in right now. And Henry Cejudo's got to be a little bit up there in age, too. Okay, so let me ask you this. Sean O'Malley has a win over Marlon Vera. However... No, he doesn't. I'm sorry, Marlon Vera has one over Sean O'Malley. However, I feel like Sean O'Malley gives him a better fight than Cheeto Vera does. Really? Yeah. I think Cheeto's more well-rounded. I would agree with that. He can kick you. He can punch you. um, He can grapple. I, I don't know. I, I think Sean O'Malley, don't get me wrong, man. He He's definitely getting better and better and better. And he uses starting to use his length really, really nice. But um, I think he's still somebody that can be taken down and mauled. Marlon's aggression, I think, would work against him with a fighter like Aljamain Sterling. I think that's what Aljamain wants is for you to be aggressive, make that mistake, and he's going he's gonna to wear you like a backpack. I think Sean O'Malley is a little bit smarter in, in that regard, I think he would frustrate Aljamain Sterling just a little bit. I think Aljo probably wins both of those fights, but I do feel like Sean O'Malley might give him a better fight. Okay, you're the UFC. Who do you book Sterling against? You're only concerned about selling pay-per-views. Sean O'Malley. Okay, you're Sterling's camp, and Sterling tells you, you decide, man. I'm too stressed out. You decide. So now you're in charge of Sterling's camp making the best decision for him. What do you do? I still do Sean O'Malley because you'll make a lot of pay-per-views or yeah. because you think he's the easiest path to a victory. Uh, they're all pretty tough fighters, but make no mistake. I, I think Sean O'Malley gives them a good fight, but I still think Aljamain Sterling wins that fight. And then I think that kind of builds up Aljamain Sterling a little bit so that when Henry Cejudo pops in, that fight's a little bit bigger. Okay. Now you're a fan. You're the front row ticket guy. You're the just bleed guy. You're passionate about MMA. And the UFC goes, we'll allow you to pick the matchup. What's Henry the best Cejudo. matchup for the fans? I think Henry Cejudo would be a lot Henry of fun. Cejudo. Okay. That's fair. Cejudo, by the way, is 35. In February, he'll be 36. So basically, by the time he fights Sterling, he'll be 36. But that's fine. Um, interesting. And I could appreciate him in 
Davalashvili having that stance, uh, but I think one of them is going to have to make a decision. I don't think he can just linger. Right. Um, they may have an agreement that when Sterling loses, maybe his run's over, and now he steps aside for Davalashvili, perhaps. But at the same time, if you're Sterling, and you've now defended twice, once against Jan and once against D- Dillashaw, and you're collecting the pay-per-view points, you know, if you go back to just being a Joe Schmo, you're going to probably get paid 200 flat, maybe. I don't know what, what they go down to. Mm-hmm. Maybe 200 and 100 to win. I don't know. But it definitely going to be million dollars, like what they probably get just from being, you know, having their show. I think Aljamain's probably got 500 to show, 600 to show, and then the pay-per-view points, he's he's definitely crossing a milli. That's hard to step away from, you know, and that that's where you're like, I want an immediate rematch. And now all of a sudden, what would Devalishvili think about it? So I don't know if they've thought about it that far. I don't know if one of them's going to move, you know, weight classes or what. But eventually, you know, like I say, that that's some big money there. True. What I do like, though, goes, and I believe them, is they have affection for each other. Obviously not like that type of affection. But you know what I mean? Like, Devalishvili is happy i mean there's there's, when sterling wins probably the happiest is his fiance and maybe his mom you know or sisters and then ray long but the volish really is not far i had quinta the Mm -hmm. volish really truly looks like he's happy for his friend so i definitely believe that these are two that probably won't fight each other like they've really developed a pretty close bond it reminds me of that early aka feel you know even an early extreme couture feel we just have this core group of guys that really, man, they're just all about helping each other out and being there for their teammates. And reminds me of that. I wonder if that bites them in the ass, though. Because Fitch, if I'm not mistaken, lives in the San Jose area. He moved to Vegas for a while because he said California was expensive. I remember he came into the studio. We probably should have believed them then and bought at least a little crypto, maybe two cryptos. Because <laughs> back then they were like 14 bucks or 100 bucks, and now they're at least, even though it's tanking, now they're up to 16,000. But anyway, but then he moved back, and you know, he's part of that group that's trying to sue the UFC with Randy and Nate, Nate Quarry and a few others, Kung Lee. Um, and then Koscheck, I know that he lived in Fresno. And but now I believe he's back east again because he was from Pennsylvania. That's where he wrestled Edinburgh, if I'm not mistaken, or one of those. Uh, and he, I think he races cars like like the, the Doom buggy types or something like that. So he's kind of like a little bit of that in, in that world. Mm-hmm. And then you got Mike Swick who moved to Thailand and built a gym. I wonder how often they talk, you know, because brotherhood implies a real close connection. And I I wonder just really how often they talk and if they don't regret not punching each other in the face for money, you know, because that's what the UFC wanted them to do. And they used to say, if you really want to see us fight, come Wednesdays or Fridays, whenever they're real hardcore practices, we go at it, you know. And I'm thinking, how is it that two other, how is it that other athletes have been able to put it aside and and fight, you know, and at least one of them had a chance one or two people had a chance to win. I don't know if I believe in some of these brotherhoods. Now we have history to tell us, you mm-hmm. know, just how close some of these fighters really were after all. Yeah. I mean, you even see guys like in the scrap pack, right? I mean, they were to us seemed 
inseparable. And now, uh, you know, they're all kind of scattered around a little bit and don't really see each other that that often. So maybe mm. that'd be a good question to ask them. Rashad never fought Jardine, right? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Yeah, there was a few of those. There was a few of those around where I think Griff, Tyson Griffin wasn't going to fight Gray Maynard. And, you know, because at the time you're believing it, man. I show up every day and this guy makes me better. I make him better. We bleed and sweat and cry together. And, you know, but then life takes you five to 10 years later in different directions. And, and you look at Colby and Masvidal. I mean, they're not anything close mm-hmm. like they were. You've seen the videos of when I think Colby won a big fight. I think it was the one in Chicago over Lawler. And then him and Mazadal raced to Vegas and they got a cool penthouse at the Palms for like a week and they're laughing it up. And, you know, they were homies. But then, uh, like I say, different directions. Life takes you in different directions. So, anyway, um, this weekend, again, it's Bell Tour 288. That's on Friday, folks, on Showtime. And the UFC, their offering is a fight night card headlined by Derek Lewis and Sergey Spivak. That starts, however, at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific for the prelims, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific for the main card. So the main card will be over for us, goes around 7-ish, and that allows us to watch late college football or or whatever. Um, but, yeah, neither show will interfere with the other show. And like Randy mentioned, if you are in the Vegas area, Tough Enough does have two shows this weekend. And it's back-to-back on the 19th and on the 20th at Circa, which is a really, really cool hotel here in town. They're going to be hosting Tough Enough. And on the first one is Strinkator GI Foundation. Um, The proceeds from that fight card will go to the Strinkator GI Foundation. And then on Sunday is going to be uh, another card that they have. And the Saturday night card will also feature some of the fighters. Sorry. Well, they are fighters. Some of the uh, people that have trained in Alta, which is formerly Wimp to Warrior. Alta uh, features two of our junkies, Ken Hathaway and Dan Tom. Mm-hmm. They both uh, trained for like the last six months every day at Extreme Couture at 7 a.m., and uh, in preparation to perhaps compete here. There was no pressure. Ken Hathaway, from the minute he started, said, I'm not going to compete. I'm not going to fight. I just want to lose weight and learn more about MMA. Hats off to him. And then Dan Tom joined as well, and he did want to compete. He's competed before for Tough Enough, and he wanted to get back in there. But it appears an injury has taken him out, so he won't be able to compete. And he'll, uh, I'm sure he'll be there to support. But there will be a few others that uh, will compete. Primarily, there's a gentleman named Oscar Willis. I don't think I've ever met Oscar Willis, but I've heard a lot about him. He's mm-hmm. the one that runs the Mac Life card. And if you ever hear the post-fight press conferences, you usually hear John Morgan from MixedMartialArts.com, former junkie like us. He usually leads things off. And if you ever hear a British accent, or I'm not sure if he's Irish or British or what, but if you ever hear an overseas accent, that's him. That's That's that guy. He's usually number two uh, with the questions, and he runs the Mac Life. And a lot of the guys speak highly of him, like he's a real cool guy. But I know he'll be competing, so good luck to him as a media member. I think that's pretty cool. And that's on the Saturday show. Um, And, uh, yeah, that's about it. Anything from you guys before we shut it down? 
Yeah, Derek Lewis. Is this like make or break for this guy? He can't take another loss, right? He's kind of putting that type of pressure on himself. But Derek Lewis goes, see, the UFC, the one thing they'll always need is headliners. So Derek Lewis, because he's provided us with so many highlights, so many vicious KOs, even though they pay him well, look for him to kind of have that type of longevity like Arlovsky, Overeem, you know, unless he's getting depleted and knocked the fuck out, then uh, I think they'll always summon him and pay him, you know, 500 grand or whatever it is he's managed to negotiate to show up and headline last minute or whatever. And I think Derek will just keep stacking that paper. Um, mm-hmm. As a title challenger, I think the ship has sailed there for sure. But as a guy that can headline these paper or well, not maybe not a paper, but these fight nights, that's your guy. Guys like him. Uh, those are your guys. They're super popular, big dudes, you know? And, and uh, so I, I think he still has a, a longer lifetime that he's implying. The only thing I could think of is if he's just got, horrible backache pain or neck or something and and he's kind of putting his own type of limit on his career but as far as ufc i think he could take a few more losses he'd still be all right it's only those ones that remove you from consciousness where it starts to get serious so you know dominic reyes would be one that you'd say forget about the money and forget about this like the, we're concerned about this guy's health we're not necessarily the wins and losses i mean but doesn't help that he's lost four in a row but it's them vicious ko's man mm-hmm Folks, we are out of here. Catch us on Mondays, aside from our junkie radios that drop on Mondays and Thursdays. Catch us Monday live at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific for spinning back click. Get in there. Be in the chat. If you have a question, we'll try and include your question within the discussion. Myself and Goes and a couple of our colleagues, it's always a fun time. So check us out again, spinning back click live Mondays, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. And for now, we are out of here. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy Bellator. Matt Erickson holding it down for us down in Chicago. And for the UFC, Ken Hathaway here in Las Vegas. Uh, Go out and be a champion. We'll talk to you soon.